As we stand, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to look at your word this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, speak to us and help us to hear what Paul is saying to fellow Christians then and now. Amen. Please be seated. Now, as Alan has said, we are in a series on Ephesians, and uh, in that series we're seeing that Paul is writing to the Christian church, he's writing to the followers of Christ to encourage them to be radically different in their lives compared to the world in which they lived. And therefore, this book is really important to us today, because we as Christ's people are called to be radically different from the world in which we live. So please turn in your Bibles to page 1176, Ephesians 5. Last week, if you were here, we heard from Alan, who preached from Ephesians 4. And the message was similar. Be different. Paul was stating that the Christians of his time needed to make new in their attitude of mind the way they thought, the way they confirmed the truth the way they lived in righteousness and holiness. And Alan spoke to us how we need to be motivated to live lives that are radically different to that of the world in which we live. Well, it's again the same this morning in this passage, isn't it? Paul is continuing with this message, the message of the need for holiness. And we're seeing a contrast between the new life in Christ and the old life of the world. And so as we consider Paul's teaching this morning, we must know who we are in Christ if we are followers of him today. John Stott puts it this way concerning this passage. He says this, For us to follow Paul's teaching in this passage of Ephesians, we need to grasp who we are in Christ, how being in Christ transforms us from a fallen human being Because when we realise who we are in Christ, this will lead to a desire to live a life that is worthy of our calling and fitting to our character as God's new society. So we need to realise that as we come to this passage this morning. And we need to be realistic, don't we? Because we know that we are fallen people. Even as Christians who believe on Jesus and his death for us to take the punishment for our sin, we are still fallen people. We still do the things that are unclean and are wrong. And we recognise this. But we also need to recognise that in God's eyes, he sees us as Christ's holy people. And why should we see this? Well, because that will give us the motivation that Alan spoke of last week and the strength to face the challenges set by Paul. So the question for us this morning is then, how should God's people live in this secular world? A world in which we remember, of course, those that have given up their lives for us. How should we live? Well, in verse 1 of chapter 5, we read that Paul says, they should be imitators of God, living a life of love, because God is holy So therefore, the Christian should live holy lives. 
Well, we might well ask ourselves, why should we be holy and how can we be holy? Well, Paul gives in this passage this morning four reasons as to why these Christians should be holy and by implication, of course, as followers of Christ, why we should be holy. So the first reason is this. They should be holy and live holy lives because of the certainty of judgment. Look in verses 3 to 6. In verses 3 to 6, we see that Paul states they are already a holy people. They're a holy people because of Jesus' death has taken the punishment for their previous sinful lives. And as such, because of this, there must not be any hint of sin. And he lists, doesn't he, a whole uh, list of sins there, sexual immorality, greed, coarse joking, and speech. And what he's saying here is within the body of Christ, here on earth, there must not be any of these characteristics. Now, of course, what Paul is doing here, he's giving them a warning, if you like, a checklist for the people to consider. He's clearly stating what is not appropriate for holy people, because as God's people, they are to be imitators of Christ, living a life of love, because Christ first loved us. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that as followers of Jesus, they won't sin but that they must not live lives that are unconfessed with continuous sins, which shows evidence of idolatry and disobedience. And he contrasts this in this short section in verse 5 by saying what they should not be like. Because he finishes off by saying that the people who are characterised by these features of sin within their lives won't be a part of God's kingdom and will be subject to God's judgment. And he also states, don't believe any teacher that states the opposite. And so Paul states that the Christians should be characterised in contrast, and here's our contrast again, to having a life of thanksgiving, having a a light of love and light and goodness and righteousness and truth. Now, I don't know what you think as you read that passage to yourself this morning, but for me, it was a real challenge There must not be any hint of greed, dearly loved children, Paul writes. And as we consider our lives within the body of the church, and we look at these standards set by Paul, surely this will drive us to our knees in confession and repentance, in the knowledge that the loving God who will judge also forgives those who repent and rely upon Jesus' forgiveness. And so even though we know and we believe and we have the faith that we will be saved, we still also have to know that God will be there and we will have to answer to Jesus for what we do within our lives. But the second reason for them being holy is that found in verse 8 to 14. They are to be children of light, showing goodness, righteousness and truth, the fruit of life. Now, of course, this again is in contrast. It's in complete opposition of what they were before they had been saved by Jesus. Look in verse 8. Paul states, they were darkness, or as another translation puts it, they were full of darkness, not having any light before they knew Jesus. But having come into that relationship with Jesus, they are transformed and transferred into the kingdom of light. Now I wonder, is this a reality 
that is often lost upon us, that there are two kingdoms, one of darkness and one of light. And the spirit of the age in which we live is surely one of darkness. I had some experience of this a couple of weeks ago when we went up to Yorkshire at half term. When we were there, we saw much evidence of witchcraft and of the evil one. You would be amazed at some of the things we saw in people's windows. They were celebrating or coming up to the celebration of Halloween. We see other effects, don't we, of of darkness as well. We see the sins of greed, the sins of exploitation, abuse, control. And if you want any evidence for this, I suggest you watch your TV for a couple of days and note down the evidence of sin portrayed on the screen, often as normal, acceptable living. Well, Paul calls for the followers of Jesus not to entertain any of these characteristics. And in contrast, again, he gives an actual challenge to them. He calls them, instead of that, to go on to search out for what pleases the Lord, verse 10. And it's a personal challenge, isn't it? And it's a corporate challenge to the church and to the individual. And as Christians, we need to pray, don't we, daily for a renewal of our minds, to put away all that's incompatible with this new life in Christ, displaying light and goodness and righteousness. And of course, as Alan has said this morning, just now, we're going to have another half day of prayer in December. A good time to come together to pray for our church, that we might know the right way forward. Because we individually and corporately are to be children of light. But the third reason given by Paul for them being holy is to live lives that are wise. Look at verse 15 to 17. Now I guess if I came round and asked you individually, what is wisdom? I did look it up on the internet and there were so many thousands of quotes about wisdom and all sorts of different ideas I gave up. Okay, it was just impossible to define what most people think wisdom is. But according to this passage, we are wise if we seek God's ways and seek holiness because God is holy. And the aim, surely, for all Christians is to grow to be more like Christ. And Christ, we know, was holy, who did no sin. But we know, don't we, or hopefully we know, that Christian wisdom is a practical thing. It should teach us how to behave here on earth. And Paul has already written in chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, our Christian lives must no longer be according to the world, the flesh and the devil, or like pagans. Instead, it must be worthy of God's call in love, and as children of light. And he goes on to say, this wisdom won't come naturally to us. It's not a natural thing. Because look at verse 15. He calls for them to be very careful in how they live. To take great care, which will involve effort. It will involve thought and concentration. Staying bright and alert in our daily lives. And again, to go back to last week's sermon, if you remember, Alan spoke of working at the truth. We need to work at it. 
Remember that text, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, which said, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. A wonderful picture of the danger, perhaps, that we're all in. We need to continue to take great care to be wise according to God's will and guidelines. And Paul states in verse 16, being wise will mean making the most of every opportunity. So it's time related. Time to seek the kingdom of God. Time to seek the will of God. None of us, of course, here knows how much time we have been given to live on earth. And we should not waste the time given to us by God. Wise people will know that time is a precious commodity. Wise people use it to the fullest possible advantage. For when it's gone, they can't recover it. There was an advert that said this, Lost yesterday, somewhere between sunrise and sunset, two golden hours, each set with 60 diamond minutes. No reward offered, for they are gone forever. In contrast to that advert, Jonathan Edwards, the famous theologian who lived and was involved in the Great Awakening in America in 1734, wrote this just before his 20th birthday. Resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. He was a wise man. For the first sign of wisdom which Paul gives us here is a disciplined use of time. Now, this is something that we need to be aware of, don't we? Because we live in an age which has become the norm for people to waste enormous amounts of time being entertained. Sometimes I think that entertainment has become one of the new gods of this age. We live in a time, perhaps we're fortunate, where a lot of work is now done by machines, both in our workplace and in our home life. And so we perhaps have more time than other ages for non-work activity. But we have whole industries that have grown up with the sole idea of making money from entertainment, from wasting time. And I wondered as I was thinking about this, as I sit and watch my television, what spiritual growth is happening in my life? What kingdom expansion is doing, is happening as I sit there and watch TV? In fact, a lot of the time, I'm opening up my mind and my emotions to things that encourage non-holiness. As followers of Jesus, we will have to answer how we use our time. So let's pray for wisdom that we will use it in God's way. Because the second item of wisdom given by Paul here is that wise people will discern the will of God than that it's only in the will of God that wisdom is found. Look in verse 17. He says this, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Jesus himself prayed, didn't he? Not my will, but yours be done. And we have already prayed this morning the Lord's Prayer. May your will be done on earth as in heaven, in our lives. And it's really important that we discover the will of God for our church and for ourselves individually. And that, of course, is why we have prayer meetings. That's why we have come together as half days of prayer. 
to pray for the will of the Father, that we might know it and do it corporately together and individually. And it's important that we know and understand the difference between the general will of the Father, which is found in the Scriptures, and the particular will of the Father, which is what relates to our individual lives and individual decisions that we have to make. Decisions on our careers, our our marriage, where we live and things like this. So the third reason given then to be holy is to live wise lives. The fourth reason given is to be holy by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Look in verse 18. Paul commands them to be filled with the Holy Spirit and again we've got a contrast in contrast to them being filled with wine. Being drunk is opposite to that of being filled with the Holy Spirit. There was a time when evangelical Christians uh, mostly didn't drink alcohol. It was called being a teetotaler. It came about probably because of the reaction to the evils of drunkenness and destruction in family life. In the latter half of the 20th century, there's been relaxation amongst Western Christians. And that gives us much greater liberty. But we still need to be warned of the dangers of misuse of alcohol because any excesses can lead to non-holy behaviour. And Paul warns the Christians in the new kingdom of the church to be wise, not to be foolish, to aim to be holy as God is holy. And how can they do this? Well, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which will help to lead to holiness. And it's a positive command by Paul, isn't it? It's a positive command to be filled. And we can be encouraged to pray for filling of the Holy Spirit each day. It has sometimes been taught that uh, when we come to Christ in our first confession, in our first time of becoming Lord and Saviour, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, that is true. But we need to be continually filled. Continually filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to seek to know Jesus and to love Jesus more. And that can happen as God's Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. So there we have it. To be holy like Christ is holy. Paul gives these Christians four reasons for being holy. They're to be holy because of the certainty of judgment. They're to be holy because they are to be children of light. They are to be holy because they are to live wisely. And they are to be holy so they can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so... In conclusion then, as we come to the end, Alan spoke last week of the need for motivation to give up ourselves for one another and for Christ. Well, we need that motivation again this week, don't we? We've been remembering those that gave up so much for us. And this passage in Ephesians is a challenge, but it's also an encouragement. It will be a battle. Paul saw this for those Christians of his day. It is then, it was then, it is today. But remember, God is on our side and God has provided the Holy Spirit to help us to live holy lives. God wants us to be like Jesus, to seek and do the will of the Father. Amen.